Welcome to the Steve Reads His Post podcast. For those of you who are too busy or too lazy to actually read my post, I've taken on the huge effort of reading them to you. Enjoy. Power Platform and the Definition of Done One of the sessions at D365 Saturday Philadelphia this past weekend was Managing a D365 CE Project by Jennifer Hoagland. It was a great session. One of her slides, she described definition of done, and that phrase stuck in my head. Done. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word done, I assume something has completed. When I'm done with a meal at a restaurant, they take my plate away and bring me my check, and the wonderful relationship I develop with my server comes to an abrupt conclusion. When the service manager at the car dealership leaves a message on my voicemail that my car is done, I go down there and get it and our relationship has concluded, hopefully forever, even though he seemed like a really nice guy. Done means something different in the software deployment world. Done times 100. With agile methodologies, big projects are broken down into smaller parts. Fellow MVP Neil Benson can fill you in on all the details around this, and will probably correct everything I write here. For this post, I just want to say that for each of these smaller parts, there's typically a concept of definition of done. Some people call this exit criteria, which sounds equally terminal. Regardless, if your project is broken down into 100 parts, you will get to done 100 times. Kind of like when you complete your appetizer and they take that plate away and put another one in front of you, except it would be a 100-course meal. Done as a beginning. It is not uncommon for a development team to feel they have met the definition of done, only to find that the customer did not understand the definition in the first place. What do you mean done? What about XYZ? It is not that hard to come up with a definition of done that your team understands. It is exponentially harder to come up with one that your customer understands. Their advance agreement is not a reliable signal that they actually understand what they are agreeing to. Why would a customer agree to something they don't understand? Often it is because they don't want to appear like they don't know what you're talking about. They're content to understand what you mean after you get there, and then renegotiate if necessary. Done as a flag in the ground. One of the key advantages to your development team is creating several points along the path where they can plant a flag and say, this thing is done. It should protect both sides from misunderstandings or at least limit the damage to either party when there are misunderstandings. If we waited until the end of a year-long implementation to say done, all of those misunderstandings will be a wave that will wash over everyone involved. Another fellow MVP, Gus Gonzalez, recently did a podcast outlining these very issues using a real-world case. Case as in lawsuit. SOWs when engaging an implementation partner, it's quite common to have your discussions conclude with a statement of work. A typical statement of work will attempt to define the deliverables and the costs associated with delivering them. It may have been created pursuant to a list of requirements from the customer or several pre-sales phone calls or meetings. The lazy SOW says, we will deliver all the requirements from your list, which is attached for X dollars. A customer who signs off on that is an idiot, and the project is already doomed. A better SOW does not even reference the customer's list, but rather replaces it and covers each aspect, broken into chunks with a definition of done for each chunk. But I would never give a customer one of these either. 
In fact, we don't give customers SOWs at all. Why SOWs don't work anymore? I think SOWs were always a shitty way to create a contractual relationship, but never more so than today. All SOWs are ultimately agreed to at a point in time. Back in the day, that point remained fairly static throughout the life of the engagement. Not so anymore, not even close. A month after that SOW was memorialized, new features were released that the SOW did not contemplate. Now what? Do we continue down the path? Or maybe look at whether any of these new features make more sense for one or more of the aspects of the SOW we are both bound by. If they do, do we both mutually agree to change the scope? Does that change in scope require a change in cost? Are we going to argue over that because you think I have you over a barrel? Am I going to be a dick about that because I actually do have you over a barrel? If we ultimately agree, what are we going to do next month when it happens again? It's little wonder that so many of these relationships turn out sour in the end, or worse, in litigation. Fed up. Several years ago, I got fed up with the broken SOW process. While I never put my foot on a customer's neck, they frequently assumed I was because I could. My dad once told me that leverage always exists. There's no such thing as neutral. Who has it at the time may not be clear. I can certainly recall being on the phone back in the day with a customer making all kinds of demands, assuming he had some leverage, when in fact, he did not. It is not a good place for the customer to be, and I did not like it either, as you may have gathered from my last post. Our Pivot I decided that we were going to take a business risk by no longer responding with SOWs or fixed cost agreements. They create an antagonistic relationship from the jump. Our risk was whether customers would go along with the idea. We did not invent this idea, but at the time it was pretty novel in our space and still is. We developed a two-page agreement where customers could pre-purchase blocks of time. The larger the block, the lower the rate. What could be done with this time? Anything the customer wanted. We also simplified the tiered rate structure into a single blended rate. The whole concept could be digested in about three minutes without the legal department having to look for gotchas. Many other partners told me that no customer, particularly large ones, would ever move forward on this basis. They were wrong. Since we launched it, we've helped hundreds of customers, including multiple Fortune 500 customers and the freaking United States Navy. In fact, there's been virtually no resistance at all. Selling time blocks. I still had many partners not believing that customers would engage this way, being unable to imagine their customers going along. I've also talked to some who said they tried and had limited success. Compared to our 100% success rate, I decided that this was a sales problem for these partners. I know their customers would go for it if they presented it the right way. The key point is that every customer who ever did an SOW or fixed price agreement was not happy with that model either. That trend is getting worse, which can easily be seen by searching, for example, a censure lawsuit. Not to pick on a censure, their current woes are just fresh in my mind, but SOWs and fixed price agreements are ending in litigation at an alarming rate today. How about instead of going down a path with a high possibility of failure, you instead try something that minimizes the risk to everyone? In our case, the maximum size block a customer can buy at one time is 80 hours. Why? This means that every week or two, we both get to reassess our relationship. 
While leverage may still exist, it is more equalized. If you're not happy with us, then you can go another direction. The block was consumed and we owe each other nothing. On the other hand, if you're a raging asshole, once the block has been consumed, I can say adios. But another thing I've noticed in this arrangement is there's seldom a need for the customer to even become a raging asshole. In fact, I don't recall offhand ever saying adios to anyone. Agility. This concept dovetails nicely into agile frameworks also. You can't get much more agile than being able to redirect all energies in a new direction when new features are launched or other realizations are made by the customer along the way. No change orders to argue over, no hard feelings. The river of effort just flows down whatever tributaries the customer wants it to. Hey, wait a minute. Steve, you seem to be glossing over a huge aspect for partners. Where we make the big money is when we come in way under cost. In your scenario, this windfall would not exist. First, I would say that you need to subtract from your windfalls on the winners, all of the losses from your losers, and come back to me. If you ever chatted to a gambling addict, all they talk about are the times they won. But if your winners do vastly outnumber your losers in dollars, then you would be right. This model assumes that your customer will actually get an hour for every hour they purchased, which, by the way, is another huge selling point. We obviously generate a margin on each hour sold, but there are no opportunities for a huge windfall with this model. Conversely, it's also impossible to end up upside down on a project. Since customers prepay for the blocks, we also have no accounts receivable department and zero collection effort. A win-win? I think so. If the profitability of your business is dependent on windfalls from winners to offset losses from losers, then moving to this model will help you at least sleep. You can also move from having a few key customers who will sing your praises to having every customer doing so. This certainly makes getting more customers a lot easier. When your prospect asks for a reference, it feels good to be able to respond with, sure, how about every customer we have? I get that this approach is not for all partners, though I'm not sure why. I also get that not all customers will go along with it, but I've yet to run into one. I'm happy to discuss with any partner how we make this work or any customer who wants to explore it as well.